it's the real measure of a brand is does somebody come back and buy your stuff again and what does that person say about you when they're not in the room we're on a mission we're going to find and uncover the smartest most successful entrepreneurs on the planet explore their highs their lows and how they ultimately mastered the game i'm martin cook and i'm excited to welcome you to the smarter destiny podcast i'm grateful for you and your time now let's level up together Boom, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another podcast interview. This time we've got Alex Brown. Alex Brown is a legend and has been for many, 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 many years. He's got countless e-commerce success stories under his belt. He's been a successful crowdfunder. He's been a successful speaker. He still is. He's been a successful consultant. The dude's beard has grown as long as most of your arms historically it's trimmed a little bit now he is a world-class dude he's a serial entrepreneur success is in his very veins and we've spoken um, off air a little bit about where that comes from we're going to get into that in this interview and so you can probably tell that um, I'm feeling excited but even more excited on top of that Alex is one of our special guest speakers for our upcoming Thailand Kosomi uh, mastermind coming up in September and so we would be missing many many opportunities if we didn't get Alex right here in an interview to learn more about what makes this guy great. Alex, how the hell are you? Uh, how could I be bad after an introduction like that? <laughs> Man, thank you. I, I appreciate you having me on here. I'm excited. Yeah, full game show, full and, game show. And host. very, very excited for Thailand. I'm excited for this, but like Thailand's on the, on the next level. Okay, so so the luxury, massive villa, you know, like the the largest villa in the whole of Southeast Asia, surrounded by amazing baller entrepreneurs. That does just a little bit top this this particular interview for you in excitement. Only slightly, but yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. I'm not going to take offense to that. I'm super excited for it. Got the cartel hat on as well. Um, and of course, you'll get something. It's not quite this one, but you'll, you'll get something similar um, as as a, a, an attendee and um, big wig of the event. Um, so whereabouts that's, are you? That's right? worth it alone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a lot of people say that. It's, it's all about the hat. Um, it's the yep. little things. Um, so whereabouts are you right now? Um, right now, I'm in I'm in Zurich, so I'm in Europe for the next month or so, and been uh, I've been doing the nomad life. Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm doing the nomad life for about almost two years now, and so it's it's like a work mix of go somewhere for a conference or an event or for a meeting, and then sort of enjoy the lifestyle of that city or catch up with friends nearby for the next ten days, and then go to the next one. And um, wow. so right now, is in Zurich, catching up with a really good friend of mine. He's like a champion bodybuilder. He's got three companies. He's a mindset coach. So uh, I come here and he just kicks my butt at the gym, makes sure I work 15 hours a day. It's a good reset, recharge. Nice. I like, yeah, 15 hours of work a day is great reset. I mean, because probably, probably it's more like 19, 20 normally, right? Or so it's like a holiday. <laughs> 
but it is, it's obviously awesome because if um, you're in Europe and so um, we're on similar time zones, obviously I'm well adjusted to this time zone. You've probably recently come from a very, very far away time zone to this one, but um, it's all good. We've got the coffee and uh, we're ready to get started. And uh, yeah, this is going to be a good one. Uh, there is a lot to cover. So um, a logical starting point and something that I absolutely love um, to sort of delve into a little bit um, on these podcasts is the sort of origin story of the entre- entrepreneur before me. And we love serial entrepreneurs, guys that have, um, you know, started, crushed, exited, started, crushed, exited, started, crushed, exited, particularly when they're in multiple fields, because it just shows that winning is just very much their, their essence. And so understanding where that came from um, is is such a great um, starting point. And so for you, Alex, when um, when did you first start sort of dabbling with entrepreneurship, cutting your teeth, paint a picture. Where are we and when is this? Um, so, I mean, if you want to trace the earliest routes, it was probably like selling apples at the side of the road when I was a kid, maybe seven or eight years old. But um, so I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. My dad had a construction company. And so that I was always kind of around it. Um, and I kind of decided in high school though, that I didn't want to be an entrepreneur funny enough, um, and went to school for business. I liked business class, started taking all these marketing classes and I thought maybe I'll be in the corporate world and I'll get a great paying job and things are going to be really great. And I can have the lifestyle of an entrepreneur, but not have any of the stress, um, which was quite, it's funny to look back on. We'll, we'll use the word funny. Um, (laughs) and, uh, so I, you know, I, I, during college, I started working with my dad's construction company, though, and learned actually like started doing stonework and learned a skilled trade. Um, so I actually kind of come from a hands-on background too, and uh, worked my butt off to put myself through college. When I then started sort of subcontracting and then doing my own work, and that was kind of the the start of me being an entrepreneur. Um, and quickly realized when I graduated college, this was like the height of the, the last recession, two thousand nine, I guess, um, that you know I had like no real skills in like the, the real business world, like the, you know, the one I'd envisioned getting in. Um, so no one would hire me. And I was like, well, I guess I'm just going to keep making money doing construction. And, uh, it was, it was actually pretty good money when I was in my, you know, my early mid twenties. Um, so it was, it wasn't like a lot of struggle. It was just a lot of hard work. I couldn't find the right people to hire. Um, you know, it was, it was a lot of like selling and then actually going and doing the work and, um, so it was, it was a good experience because I, I learned the serious value of hard work. Um, you know, I made good enough money to put myself through college, which ended up being mostly useless endeavor, uh, other than giving myself a bit of time to mature. Um, then I actually, I got a, a job at a, a startup in the corporate world doing business development consulting for pharmaceutical companies, which is a bit of a mouthful and a really yeah. weird curveball, but, um, you know, we were helping, and, and this came in very useful later, um, we were helping companies find contract manufacturers, we were helping them negotiate licensing deals internationally, um, and so I got to speak to, like, CEOs and VPs of, like, you know, pharmaceutical companies and pretend like I was important and, um, you know, like I knew what I was talking about half the time. Um, so it was really good for me personally to come from, you know, just doing construction work to diversifying entirely in what I'm doing and speaking to different crowds, different people. Um, and that was like sort of serendipitously, like I didn't really love the industry. I didn't really love a lot of the things that were going on with it. Um, and I just at that time was introduced to my business partner, Chris. Um, and 
Chris was working on a bunch of different crowdfunding campaigns, like you mentioned, and I didn't even know what crowdfunding was at the time. Um, but you know, I was I was looking for more. I knew I was really good at like taking a you know an idea and putting it on a paper and translating into ten steps on how to get started. Maybe two of those steps or three of those steps would be useful. We'd have to go out to the drawing board, but him and I just really hit it off the way our personalities clicked. Uh, he was living in California at the time. Sorry, go ahead. So, so I was just um, recapping and trying to and, and just yeah. um, piecing together the timeline um, for the audience. So, so um, you've you've been to college. You put yourself through college, um, uh, doing a construction side hustle that paid for the college. You had your college degree, um, and um, other than sort of maturing during that time um, a little bit, the the degree wasn't necessarily beneficial to you. What what was it? What what, what did you study? It was it was actually it was ironically in business. Okay, uh, but I like the way it, you, people ask me all the time now because I speak at colleges and stuff, and I sp- spoke at my own college, and they're like, people always ask the question. It's almost like it's planted. Like, was college useful? You got some smartass who's like wondering <laughs> if he's getting his money's worth. Yeah. And my advice to them is always like, in my experience, it wasn't worth it because I didn't apl- I didn't seek to apply what I was learning. I was merely seeking the means to the end. Mm. I wanted the piece of paper, but everybody else had that paper. If I wanted the actual education and started applying that practically. And getting the skills, what no matter what it took, whether it was volunteering, uh, which I ended up doing a lot of before I, I met Chris. I was working with like Startup Canada, and I was really you know upset about this lack of skills. So I just started doing stuff to get skills in, in digital marketing and personal branding and stuff. So nice. um, I always tell people like you know education can still be very valuable. You have to combine it with a desire to actually integrate that, and it's the same in bez- business too. I found when you're only focused on a means to an end. You miss out a lot of the gold in the, in, in the middle part of that and the present moment that'll actually get you to a much better end quicker. I, I love that, and, and yeah, it's yeah, you're, the it's the it's not the destination that's important; it's the journey. And a lot of times when we're at school, we're actually learning to pass exams as opposed to learning. Um, I, yeah. I, yeah, I totally agree. It, especially in Western culture, especially in Western culture, because a lot of students that come over. Um, you know, I started to see this from from Asia, from the Middle East would come over to Canada where I'm from and they would learn and they would like learn another language and they would really look to learn. It wasn't just about getting the means to the end. They wanted that education. And so I realized kind of late in my educational career, I'm like, man, I think I'm doing this wrong. You know, like this is a great party and I've got this piece of paper and uh, I did well in school, but I didn't really learn anything. And so, so you came out of um, you came out of college. Um, you you've you've done some volunteering. You've, you've you're now working at this pharmaceutical company, and then you bumped into Chris. And um, and and how did you guys how did you guys um, bump into each other? And how did that kind of get started? So it was actually through a mutual friend of ours um, who had who'd moved down to California, who who was like childhood friends with Chris, um, and he was working with Chris initially too. Um, so he introduced us and he was kind of telling Chris like, yo, we need to rescue this guy from the pharmaceutical personal branding, whatever the, whatever the hell he's really doing and bring him on board. So, um, uh, he kind of like introduced us and yeah, from there we went to a couple NHL hockey games. We got drunk by the fire a couple nights and we decided that it was a partnership made in heaven as, as you do sometimes meet people at the hotel bar that are worth the whole conference. Yeah. Oh Yeah. And so, and so, um, Chris at this stage was already <clears throat> really, really good at raising um, money through crowdfunding. Is that right? 
That was his secret. Yeah, so power. so he he was super passionate about it. He had done it once with this company called Vibe, which was a wearables company, and he was kind of in the midst of doing it for another product while fulfilling the first one. Um, so uh, we became obsessed with doing. Uh, more businesses than we could handle. Um, I don't know if anybody listening or watching has been in that point. You or, might be the first entrepreneur, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, might be the first entrepreneur that wanted to do more than one thing uh, yeah. to the detriment of many of those things individually. Um, but that allowed us to kind of rapid fire learn, like what goes into a successful campaign. Um, you know, how to create like a brand behind it, how to sell something that doesn't really exist yet, um, and then going into like how to manufacture it, how to fulfill it, how to create that experience. Um, yeah, it was kind of a crash course in that. And naturally, because we'd done a campaign, it was successful. We started to work on, you know, launching other products. We had a golf product that did pretty well when we got into retail. Uh, people were like, how are you doing this? Can you do this for us? So we built the network of who to use and sometimes most importantly, who not to use um, for a video, for a website and stuff. So we kind of were doing that as an agency for a little bit um, to launch products, uh, which was really cool, sort of helped us pay the bills, but we were just really basically scraping by. Um, and then we hit a bit of a crowdfunding home run. We did a product called Coolbox, which did a half million dollars in Indiegogo, um, turned a lot of heads. And my business partner is this like super charismatic guy. Like he's just like out of this world, creative and stuff. And like, He's the kind of guy who comes into a room and just like blah, 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 blah. And everyone's like, who the hell was that? <laughs> uh, so, you know, we put together a couple Shark Tank applications for our previous one, but this one did well. So he ended up on Shark Tank for Coolbox, which just like raised, you know, myself, my business partner and the team we kind of assembled at this point, like all of our credibility opened a lot of doors. We were able to license that product to Kevin Harrington. Um, fulfill those units and kind of walk away from the business and this whole time we we're growing our beards and we're like eating naturally and we're just like walking around with that shirts off trying to be really cool entrepreneurs um, and we didn't want to pay full price for beard oil so we started looking at making our own and that was like the very organic natural beginning story of of wanting to start the beard club was not actually not wanting to pay full price for product Wow, I, I love that. Actually, I totally empathise with that as well. When you're when you're like, wow, I'm I'm paying so much for you know X Y Z. Like I'm gonna I'm just gonna I'm gonna make it. I love this product. I'm gonna make, I'm gonna make it. it. Yeah. Um. I'm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I I went through that phase actually with exogenous ketones, but that's a whole different story, right? They're very expensive. Mm. Anyway. Um. Okay. So so you've um you've done multiple things. Uh, you've had multiple successful campaigns on crowdfunding platforms and is that is that kickstarter and indiegogo or was it was it always indiegogo you preferred um so coolbox was indiegogo um vibe was actually on tilt which is sort of where you build the the infrastructure kind of on your own website but it's a crowdfunding campaign and that may have changed i haven't done a campaign in in years now um but um there are lots of i like i try and tell people that are really interested in crowdfunding because there's a lot of people probably listening and watching this um, it's not really about the, you know, the platform. It, it's more about the setup. Um, you know, certainly Indiegogo and Kickstarter have, um, you know, a decent amount of traffic. They've got a reputation. So that does help depending on your objective, but you should plan to have a campaign that does well, regardless of the campaign, uh, sorry, regardless of the platform. Like that has to be the heart of it. Um, okay. 
And so the yeah. reason I'm asking this, so we, we recently, um, I recently interviewed um, a guy that's a consultant for, uh, for crowdfunding and uh, private funding as well. And some of, some, of the, uh, some of the stuff that came across there was he, sa- he was saying that the, the landscape's changed quite a bit since, since um, like the heyday, right? They could wear, you know, where it was, um, this, this would have been for context 2015 when we did our last one. So th- I mean, okay. the, the scale at which things change, things have probably uh, completely evolved. So re- I w- I'll say with a disclaimer, revert to the expert in crowdfunding and, <laughs> and maybe not myself and what I'm about to say. <laughs> well, I know, actually, I mean, I, I, you know, we... I'm sure the audience would agree. We would love to hear from people that have actually done it. And so that really is led into, uh, leads into the next question before we get into the beard stuff, which we're absolutely going to hit like an absolute train. Um, but with crowdfunding, what do you believe um, are like the, the, the pillars of success? I don't know where that came from. It's a proper cliche. Like, like what, what sort of prep um, uh, were you doing what? Why? Why do you think you were successful when, like, ninety-seven percent, even at that time, you know, were completely yeah. crashed and burned? Um, so there were a couple elements that we really learned helped us a lot. I mean, one was just having like a really great video, and that showed the product in a way that people could imagine themselves using it. So showing different use cases, different scenarios where this person might uh, be able to use it. Because when you have something that's not real yet, um, creating that confidence and, and showing people what it's going to mean to them goes a long way. Just having like a beautifully laid out campaign helps a lot too with like lots of photos and, and just lots of information. Um, but I, you know, also there's, there's a lot of hard work that goes into it. Like what we did was we called every one of our family and friends and we're like, we need you to support us. Right, which I think is something that people aren't really willing to do in the beginning. And um, if you don't believe in your product enough to go and sell it, or at least the dream that you have in starting a company around it, um, that might be an indication that um, this might not be a good direction or something. And maybe like your product's super niche, so you can't call your grandmother and ask her to buy beard oil, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, the, that fit doesn't really. My make grandma sense. in her later days you, could have done with some. I'm just, I'm just saying, she could have done with some beard oil. I mean, like if, if, if you can call your grandma and ask if she'd buy some beard oil for a gra- beard oil for her grandson. Right. Yeah. So, you know, we out of the gates, we'd call everyone we knew, uh, not everyone, but we'd, we'd have this plan to, to sell a bunch right out the door because nobody wants to be the first person to buy a Kickstarter product. The, the goal is far from being reached. Right. So, um, you know, we kind of set our goal artificially low with the idea that we would reach it quicker and that would create this sort of like viral snowball, like this, this confidence, right? So, um, we knew we had to raise, and this is like a dangerous game, obviously, like, but we, we set it a little bit lower than we needed to and then raised more than the goal. So it ended up working out okay. Um, but that initial, like seeing initial purchases when somebody lands there, um, is huge, Right. And then what we did was kind of create this landscape of um, this sort of document of all the main or sorry, of all like the people of influence in the crowdfunding space, all like the main blogs and stuff, and just started like reaching out to them, asking if they review it. Um, and once they saw the momentum, once they saw that this campaign was like taking speed, then it was kind of this frenzy effect of like, yeah, sure, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. We'll share it. Um, so like. A lot of those things are available for free. Um, 
you know, we weren't really good with paid media until after we launched Beard Club. We didn't know what performance marketing was. We'd never heard of affiliate marketing or a funnel or anything like that. So that certainly would have helped us a lot more. We did hire an agency that helped us add a lot of sales for our campaign. So if you do understand how all that works, lead generation, um, that will help you a considerable amount too. But there's a lot of stuff that people don't think about when they're doing a campaign. They kind of want to set it and forget it and automate everything. But like calling everyone up, making those initial sales, showing that traction, that's huge. Absolutely. And so um, two-part question. Um, do you still uh, believe, um, I think I know the answer, uh, do you still believe that pre-launching um, pre-launching products, <clears throat> pre-selling products um, is uh, a viable, good way to go? And um, if, if yes, how would you um, do that? Like what, what would be different? How would you approach a pre-launch of a product, um, you know, in today, like in today's age? Um, so I think a pre-launch of a product is not a one-size-fits-all sort of scenario. Um, I think that if I were to do it again today for another project, uh, I would put more legwork into building like the brand a little bit more and the ethos and like the content behind it before I did a campaign, right? So knowing what I know now about building an audience uh, around like a concept around the solution of the problem that you're trying to solve, um, I would probably invest more time into that while I prepared for the campaign. Um, so I think it comes down to your objective, right? Like, are you looking to just, and us at the time, we had the wrong objectives. We wanted to launch a product. We wanted to make money, right? And now to like anything that I do, I want to be super excited about and super passionate about because I know that's going to drive me to even more enterprise value for my company, even more short-term profit and much more enjoyment and fulfillment in the short term, right? So I, I think like no matter what you're trying to do, I think looking at it from that frame of mind instead of just like, hey, this is a cool gadget idea. Um, and maybe you start from there, but like thinking about like what like you can talk about that's more than just the gadget. Like what are the stories of the people who are going to use it and stuff? Um, that would sort of be my advice to anyone that's doing that. I don't know if I answered the two questions even a little, but uh. <laughs> no, no, you did absolutely. So, so um, pre-launching um, products isn't a one-size-fits-all, and um, and definitely you, um, you, you know, you've nailed the point that like um, you've got to understand why you're pre-launching. Presumably, you know, some people want to pre-launch yeah. to try and get that initial traction. Some people want the money, um, and it yeah. comes out of necessity. Um, you know, uh, some people want to, you know, pique the interest and um, excite Kevin Harrington. Um, you know, and uh, and there's different different objectives, right? So, um, if you um, and, and so the second part was if it was in, you know, if it was in today's age and not necessarily even with a crowdfunding site, um, how uh, that would differ nowadays to to when you you launch Callbox. Like if you were to launch a brand that did fit the box, uh, tick, tick the boxes um, and and made sense to do a pre-launch, um, what do you think the, the, the top three or five drivers um, would be in, in today's age behind that launch? Like, I, th I think my answer would still be the same. I think it'd be getting on the ground a little bit first with that audience and seeing what resonates with them, seeing what doesn't, seeing what they like, so that then you can translate that into an amazing video that captures those things, right? Or at least tries your best, right? You can never know fully. 
Um, and you know, using that, that momentum as some validation, like you said, for the next steps. But, um, I would really like, yeah, to, to, to get on that level of like, who are the people I'm trying to serve? Why am I trying to serve them? And what is it that, and like in that phase, you might identify different like upsells you can create for the campaign that'll allow you to add more revenue to it, that'll allow you to get there quicker. Um, so I think getting on the ground is the number one thing. And, um, you know, at least giving a, a moderate damn about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need to care a little bit about your product. Yeah. That's that, uh, you know, that totally makes sense. And actually, a lot of the time, um, you know, you find yourself as an entrepreneur, you find yourself almost on this treadmill that's going really, really, really fast because you found a product that you can sell the crap out of. And then, yeah. oh, shit, now I've got 50,000 customers, now I've got 100,000 customers. And, 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 you know, my daily life is keeping this machine going as opposed to seeing yeah the bigger picture or focusing I, I get it and i'm sure lots of people would empathize um with that okay so w- here we are in time and and now we're in the in the sort of outer rings of um the planet beard and um so so first off did you did you pre-launch uh, beard club we did we didn't do like a pre-launch campaign um we did a little bit of like list building not very much uh, with some giveaways and stuff like that um, but really like we, we were about to launch beard club. We, we recorded the video. We had like a really small batch of products. Um, and the more people we showed the video to, and the more people like got it right away. Right. So they're like, this is going to be huge, right? More advisors started coming on board, more influencers wanted to get involved. So we kind of actually pumped the brakes and rebuilt our infrastructure on the product side, which took us about six months, which also then in that time, we sort of did more giveaways. We tried to generate some more buzz like naturally. Um, so that to the point when we were able actually to launch, we'd mobilized a lot of people to, to kind of get to a lot of eyeballs. And it created this like viral snowball that, um, you know, we thought it was going to do well and it did exceptionally well. Um, and it was like this super humbling experience of like, oh, wow, now we have an actual high growth company on our hands and we don't really know how to manage one of those. So (laughs) let's, let's get after it. (laughs) And so I'm right in saying, putting some numbers where it is, um, and you know, I pulled this straight from your bio. I'm I'm right in saying that in the first year of uh, dollar beard club, um, it it hit $10 million revenue in its first year. Is that right? Yeah, that's, and that's with no affiliates. We didn't know what those were. Um, you know, not a lot of ad spend and let's, you know, to, to add like a, I guess a handicap on here, this was in a more golden era of organic reach for Facebook, um, and for YouTube and stuff. So uh, I won't pretend like that wasn't a factor, the timing of what we were talking about and like how popular beards were. Um, but it just resonated really well, uh, to the point where we could do that with no affiliate, like some of the stuff that we weren't doing that was laughable, like no email marketing, no card abandonments. We left probably another 10 million on the table realistically for how many impressions we got. Um, so yeah, but it was, it was, it was cool to see that growth. But now looking back, we're like, Oh my God, we had <laughs> no idea what we could have done. Uh, but everything happens for a reason. And we were able to learn those incredibly important lessons and, and create this network of people that could like, you know, help us learn what we needed to. And then we could reciprocate by teaching them more of that branding and what we knew, what we brought to the table. Right. So, so this is, this is you and Chris, uh, predominantly, is that right? Um, at this stage, um, in the beard club? Yeah. Well, we, we'd actually like at this time, we, we realized that we needed a lot more hands on deck. We also had like 
our in-house people that were doing graphic design uh, at, like for our agency, which was not very profitable, but was paying the bills. Um, and uh, videographer, um, video producer, uh, who was just like amazing, like having creative talent, like invested in the process as, you know, shareholders in our business, they were like, let's do this. Like, let's do whatever it takes. Let's make amazing content. Um, and then we started to like hire a bunch of like Swiss army knives and, and just sort of be like, Hey, we don't know where this thing's going. Um, but like, you're amazing. Like we hired some awesome people in operations, um, you know, just some great people like we finance media buying. We're like, Oh, we need this. We need this. We need this. Um, and I'm not good at finance, but I had to become a little better and, and, and ramp up my understanding. But, uh, we started to kind of assemble our, our, our early team, um, before and during like the launch of beard club and as cool box tapered down. And so where did the funding come from for, um, hiring that, that, um, army, uh, the, uh, the Avengers, I don't know what to call it, your Avengers. Uh, I mean, when you have a really strong vision, and I learned this from Chris, uh, you don't need a lot of funding. And, and people, including myself, uh, will quit what they're doing and and go and work for free for the, the, you know, the dream. And obviously, like, you don't want to string a bunch of people along and be like, hey, we'll do this on a rev share. And it's easier when you have a reputation to build something together in partnerships with people. I'm sure you've done that too. I'll take care of this. You take care of that. Um, but you know, we were able to just sort of like pay what we could to all of us um, just to scrape by. And then eventually, you know, the cash flow was there from Beard Club where we could start taking a salary, actually sustaining our life a little bit. Um, but for the most part, it came down to having this like vision of like this is what, where we see this company going. Um, and articulating that to the point where someone's like, well, if I'm not on that ship, I'm screwed, right? I'm going to regret this for the rest of my life. Um, and that really showed me the importance of having vision. And you, by the way, you can use that with your suppliers, with the media. Everyone gets excited when somebody has a big vision and, and passion for it, right? You talk about the numbers and you know what you want your exit value to be. No one really gives a damn. You talk about what you're going to do, how you're going to change the industry, who you want to become, how you want, like how many lives you want to affect people are really gravitated towards this. It's like this beacon that people are like, I want to go where that person's going, you know? Absolutely. That excitement is, is contagious. And so did you, did you find, or would you say that, um, having that really, really powerful, uh, video with the, with the story and your, and your creative guys around you, did that, did that help enormously in getting your excitement and vision out to the world? Absolutely. That's how we built our business really was, uh, initially was sort of like, you know, these, these amazing viral videos kind of one after the other. Um, and it started to like then match that with a better understanding of performance marketing and how to really capitalize on that, how to, you know, do things like optimize a landing page, which we actually couldn't do with our website for about two years. We couldn't even touch it or our whole thing would break. Um, so that was how, kind of how we built it. We also, we, um, uh, many of you are probably familiar with Dan Bilzerian and he was an early investor in the company and Chris had known him from before and he saw beard club and he was like, you know, this is, this is a good match for me. I've got a beard and the, you know, the bearded influencer guy. So, um, he invested in the company, which we need, you know, we needed some cash flow for inventory cause we were stocking out. We were growing too fast. Our demand was like this, um, mm. which is, which is like going viral is the dream, but it creates a lot of really like huge problems with your systems. Oh, yeah. Um, 
so then he would keep sharing the videos that would help with the snowball getting to new audiences. Um, but you know, that's, that's not really like a formula for smooth and continued growth. So we had to like start taking over and taking down some of that, like, um, and smoothing out that demand a little bit with, you know, actually running a business and not yeah. just like creating a video and then having it explode, creating a video, having it explode, which I'm glad we did that because the, like I said, the organic wave kind of caught up to us and things change. I bet I, I imagine that was incredibly fun, but yeah, d definitely speaking from, um, f speaking from experience and, and scaling incredibly fast and with the entrepreneur's mindset where you're like, yeah, this my suppliers will figure it out. My customer we'll service will figure it, it out. The, the postal <laughs> service won't be overwhelmed, you know, and, and then you, yeah, there's that you definitely have growing pains. Um, yeah. and I, I imagine that was no exception. And so, so were you predominantly at this stage focusing on the U S or were you worldwide from the start? Um, we've we've actually only ever sold in Canada and the U.S. and the U.S. is our primary market um, because Canada, you know, I'm from Can Canada and so it sucks for me to say this, but you know the exchange rates are often not that great um, and the the shipping times are more you know ro robust we'll call it um, they're it's more expensive to ship products um, and U.S. is ten times the size so we're still you know, the, the team's still scratching the surface in terms of what's possible in the U S but also now like planning on, on expansion globally. I think like for a lot of people expanding globally can be very sexy, but it's, you know, depending on the market, it's like starting a whole new business. Mm -hmm. And then, so you're sort of like truncating your, your, your focus, which for some people is easy depending on their product, their infrastructure. Um, for others, I think, um, and for us, when we looked at it as a business decision, we're like, we're not there yet. You know, it's a uh, it's a little daunting for us right now. Yeah, I but they they are moving there in in the next, I would say, the next year at most, because uh, yeah. they have the infrastructure in place now. And I, I did hear actually a guy in France has just managed to grow a beard. Um, so I think. <laughs> You know, I think France at least has one guy that's ready for you. Uh, you know, I think there's beards elsewhere, as, as well as saying. But um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, like you said, and, I, and you've alluded to this a couple of times. I love um, uh, Jeff Hoffman's um, quote. I feel like I've got his name wrong. I don't know. I don't know his name. Jeff Hoffman. Yeah, Jeff Hoffman, oh. billionaire, the guy that created the self check-in passport desk at the uh, at the airport. Like he. Got it. I thought you. Yeah. I thought you meant Reed Hoffman from no, uh, no, no. LinkedIn. Oh no, I, I was just doubting myself, but that's fine. No, I, I meant that. I meant him. He said, like, you know, by all means, we, do everything, right? As an entrepreneur, we always want to do everything we want to do, but try and yeah. win a gold medal. He, you know, and, and he was saying that, um, you know, if you become like a world class cyclist who, who wins a gold medal in the Olympics, right? You don't get there by doing a little bit of cycling and then a little bit of basketball and then hang out with your mates and then, you know, yeah. it's cycling, 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 and um. And, and like you said, uh, you said that earlier on, and you said about splitting your focus and, and truncating your focus um, to uh, starting a new business in, in Europe and, um, you, you know, outside of your thing. And it sounds like um, you were absolutely, well, you were, obviously it sounds like you were crushing, absolutely crushing in the US and presumably as a consumable product, um, you know, you were getting like one customer was actually like 10 customers in terms of repeat orders or... Um, so one of the issues that, so we, we have subscription business, right? Which was amazing because we were the first people to figure that out and scale it in the beard care market. And what allowed us to outspend our customers a lot of the time was that we would make it back on the back end. Um, I think in being 
you know, younger and naive, especially in the world of business, we didn't realize the importance of focusing on um, encouraging consumption, right? We were all about like, you know, marketing the sale and building for the sale, but not like showing people, I mean, this was a product of not sending like simple emails when someone bought the product on how to use it and like, you know, welcoming them to this like new experience and stuff. Um, so we had, a you know, an okay retention rate, but it became hard to scale eventually because, you know, even if you have a subscription business, if people aren't using that consumable product regularly, and when we're talking something like beard oil, this isn't like toothpaste where people know they need to brush their teeth every day. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we forget or go to bed without, uh, how do you say, passing out. Um, but <laughs> um, without like that habit already built in, then you have to then encourage that consumption. Um, I was actually, it was cool. I was on a panel um, last week with uh, Taro. I forget his last name, but he's the co-founder of Four Sigmatic. And he was talking about how there's these like, these really iconic brands uh, with consumable products, they don't focus on like selling it to you. Like when you see a Coca-Cola commercial, it's always them drinking it. It's like, drink it, drink it. This is how you drink it. This is why you drink. It's all consumption, right? Um, So us not knowing that at the time, uh, we were all about like, hey, use this, buy this, take this. and, And this is what makes you a man instead of like, you know, the act of doing it and showing more of that. And like, yeah, I think, uh, to do it again, we would have focused on retention first right out of the gate and, and how long how long do we want this person to be a member of our club? What does that look like? And also looking at retention on a longer timeline instead of trying to get you know get someone to buy three boxes instead of two. It's knowing that they're probably going to stack up too much product, which is the overwhelming reason people cancel any consumable service. Um, and then having a plan to reactivate them in six months when they've probably used that up or to get them to refer a friend or use that product on something else. Um, so we didn't build the mechanisms in, in, from the get go, whereas to do a subscription service again, um, that would absolutely be part of, you know, my ethos of like, how are we going to get people to stay around as retentions, everything, whether you have a subscription business or not, it's the way to increase your profits dramatically it's the real measure of a brand is does somebody come back and buy your stuff again? And what does that person say about you when they're not in the room? In my opinion, anyways. I think, I think that's absolutely um, gold. And so I'd be um, an idiot to not probe a little bit further there in terms of um, some of these subtle differences between um, sort of, you know, one-time purchases and consumable products. Um, so consumable subscription products, what other um gold can you um present when it comes to selling consumable subscription products um things that maybe mistakes you've made and what you learned from them or tips that you would have to someone starting that kind of business yeah things like that um so i think like it's something that's important to remember is that we we love to overcomplicate things, and I personally do. Like I get lost in the in the you know all the details and all like the intricacies, right? Um, but I think like a good example was like I said previously, consumption, right? Like not thinking about the consumption enough, right? So framing things in your mind if you want to start you know a subscription consumable product business or you have one, like the basic things like consumption, teaching people how to use the product. Um, when they get the product, having that be a really good experience, right? And a huge reason why people churn is is 
you know, stacking up products. So giving them the ability to pause and manage their subscription, you'll see a huge like stick rate in terms of people coming back four months, six months later, instead of trying to make it really hard for people to cancel, which I know in like the sort of forced continuity trials uh, model is like completely different. But um, I think like a lot of people are kind of migrating away from that and looking to build these bigger, better brands, right? So keeping things simple, empowering the customer and, you know, having a product that people love is really important. Um, and these are just like kind of the basics, right? Um, having something that people will actually use and encouraging them to use that, uh, I, I think are just really the foundations of anything. And I'll, I'll kind of add to like, cause there's so many people that ask me about subscriptions cause we did it really well. Um, there's a lot of fundamental questions about still to this day of like, does a subscription make sense for us? Right. And I think it's very sexy. Subscriptions are amazingly sexy. Investors love them. But I've spoken with companies that had a non-subscription model. They've switched to subscription and they're actually worse off for it, right? They're better off selling bundles. It's better for the freaking environment half the time. Like if I could, if we could ship three bottles of beer oil at once and then next year do that, instead of like spending the money to ship that, which is a huge cost, logistics were always a huge cost for us. We have heavy product, right? Mm. So like it's sometimes it's a better business decision to not have a subscription, right? And unfortunately, we don't know how that shakes out until you test a lot of things. But also, you know, don't become too enamored with subscriptions if you're doing really well without them. Um, test it for sure, but don't think that you have to, right? It might not make sense for you. Like shipping things again and again and again, um, like I said, is bad for the environment, is really expensive, uh, and, you know, might just not be the right call. It makes a lot of sense. And so um, in terms of, um, so changing, changing pace uh, a little bit, because um, I, I, I'm inferring that you're definitely a voracious learner and, and you're absorbing things from your environment constantly. Um, what brands um, stick with you as brands that you've studied, right? The brands that, um, like aspirational brands, brands that you've learned a lot from, um, or even the founders behind those brands that you've 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 taken a lot from and learned a lot from, particularly with subscription, but generally. Um, I mean, like, what's cool, you know, I I do a lot of interviews now with other e-commerce entrepreneurs, so I get to learn from like just a huge diverse array of people. Someone that I really truly think does a great job um, of helping people of of building like a strong brand is Ezra Firestone. Um, you know, I sort of look up to him in a lot of different ways and he, the way he approaches things with honesty and integrity. I think there's, there's so many good brands out there right now to model yourself after. I'm particularly interested in brands that have a tie-in with environmental sustainability, social consciousness. Um, I see this tremendous wave of, um, of really strong brands coming out with that as, as kind of like uh, just sort of like their ethos at the core, right? Because that allows them to have this really strong story. They're really connected with why they exist. And then they kind of use those two together to communicate with people in a really meaningful way. So more than any particular brand, I think like the social environmental consciousness gives people a massive leg up right now. Absolutely. Um, 
And uh, yeah, no, I've heard even more so um, with with some of the uh, younger generations as well. Um, there, there's there's many consumers out there who, for example, they're yeah. buying a t-shirt. They're not going to just buy a t-shirt. They want to buy a t-shirt that also plants a tree, or um, yeah. you know, and, and using that to, uh, that can the the, the that consumerism to to actually further the planet. And uh, um, yeah, I'm well, so behind you on that one. There's like iconic brands, you know, obviously like. Patagonia and Tom's that are really built around this ten tree, um, but there's also like you know I'm I'm friends with a number of them like um, Anne Marie Skincare, which does a sustainability report. Uh, Paleo Valley, they're all about like regenerative farming. Um, uh, Pala Case, they've got this awesome like phone case that's entirely biodegradable and compostable. So that in itself is an example of not just like a one for one or whatever, but that's like a solution to a problem. There's too much plastic buy this product because the, you know, we don't have to remove a ton of garbage from the ocean for this plastic product to you know disintegrate. So, um, and it, it's not just the one for one or the transactional thing Like there's also just the way you conduct business, the way you treat your employees, the way you source your product. Um, people always like kind of wonder like how to build a brand from a point of drop shipping or, you know, an Amazon business. And it's like, you know, someone asked a really good question, um, last week and there, and, uh, it was like, what do you look at in the world right now? Or what are the things that you look at in the world right now that can be related or unrelated to your brand? Um, that you, that you think like, man, we got to change that. Right. And those should be triggers for you about a cause or a thing you can be passionate about that you can start to look to tie in, right? So you don't have to have this business model right from the get-go. If you have a business that's successful, if you're, you know, or if you're building up and, and things are going well, um, you know, no one expects perfection from you out of the gates, but these are the questions you can start to ask to build that deeper connection and, and facilitate um, some sort of transition with your brand where you're doing those more meaningful things. And when it comes to sustainability, it's the same thing. It's like, you know, how do I look, not just how do I get my product fully sustainable? It's like, you know, how do we get our labels from recycled material? And then like, what's this ingredient that we can change? And you can tell that story of your transition and why you're doing it too. You don't need to be perfect. You can start somewhere, you can keep, I'm, I'm far from perfect. I'm still trying to be more sustainable every single day and more conscious every single day. So. Um, we strive for perfection. I find I create a lot of unhappiness in my life. That's amazing. Actually, uh, going through a similar journey here. In fact, my my wife is actually just starting right now. She's she's uh, she recently learned that the fashion industry is like one of the worst things for the planet. Um, I'm using my soapbox God. right now. It pitches yeah. everybody, right? You know those nice te- <laughs> that, that, that those nice clothes you've got. Yeah, well, the planet died a little for that. No, I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go deep with it, but um, she's actually creating a clothes swap shop in the in the area. So so actually, um, you know, um, a lot of the time, um, women in particular will have a lovely outfit but they'll wear it once because they don't want to be seen twice in it um and yep. so um she's actually creating like a, a free swap shop where you just come in with you know with with, with one of your nice outfits yeah. we're not talking you know whatever and you can take one off the rail and it's just you know like a free service and, and she's that's, so passionate about that um that's amazing and that's that's like one of the key so like there's i think there's a lot of shakedowns coming in terms of e-commerce um, and like there, there are a lot of things like access versus ownership, right? And you see this characterized by things like Uber and Airbnb, and even those are about to be shaken up, like you know Uber with dri- self-driving cars and stuff. But um, like, I think what's interesting that no one really talks about in the e-commerce industry is that 
it's largely characterized by people selling, uh, for the most part, crappy products to people that can't afford it and, and frankly, don't need it uh, in a way that destroys the environment, right? So, and, and this is true of every industry, by mm-hmm. the way. It's, it's, you know, it's kind of like capitalism in general and people trying to be more conscious of that. But I think when you, we talk about physical products and things we can hold, we can see where they go. And like, there's certainly, you know, a footprint involved in that. Mm. So like, I love to try and encourage people to just, I, I, sorry, just like remind them of, of what they're creating and the power that they have and, you know, the content that they create that then touches millions of people. And um, I think we're at a really cool transitional time in the world for a number of reasons. And I think as e-commerce entrepreneurs, we should all seek to be better too and realize that people are waking up to these things and that it's not just about like reshaping the way we're doing existing things, but there's all kinds of new opportunities that are in line with these values that are coming up. Like we're reusable straws in industry or a sellable thing like three years ago. Mm. Like I don't remember seeing a single one and now they're in every store because everybody hates plastic. Nobody wants to reuse straws, right? So there are lots of new opportunities that come up that will align with these things. But you absolutely need to start thinking about these things because th- things need to change. It's not that they should. It's like they need to. We all need to be better. If we're going right. to sell stuff, it should be good stuff, and it shouldn't just end up in a landfill all the time. A hundred percent. And actually, I don't. So I don't normally use interviews to um, to say anything really about me as an interview. But I've just got one little thing. I just wanted to bounce past you, Alex, because I think you would yeah. be a great audience. And, and I'm sure Def, Jeff is actually going to be watching or listening to this. Jeff Bezos. I'm getting into my point. Um, I I have this strong. I, I, what I'd really like to see is Amazon create just one filter. You know how you can pick your price or how the shipping speed and all that. The filter down the left of the of the product type. I'd love it if there was just a little switch where customers could go um, contains plastic, doesn't contains plastic contain plastic like in terms of the packaging or the product yeah right so it's not amazon going i'm getting rid of all products that have plastics or anything like that just one little switch that allows the consumers that care about it um and that should be all the consumers but the 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 consumers that care about it to just go i'm going to try and choose you know the 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 products that to give them the choice and it's a great and I think we would start seeing the, the, the more environmentally conscious products start rising to the top in the Amazon rankings as a result of that and the, um, and the, uh, the quote, bad, bad companies changing um, yeah. to, to, to win the algorithm. But, uh, well, like, it, it's interesting because I just, as an aside, like I just um, saw an interview, or not an interview, it was like a YouTube video when I was going down some rabbit hole on sustainability but like this, this next day shipping or two day shipping instead of like, you know, three day shipping can be a huge impact on sort of like the carbon footprint and stuff. Like if, if they need to reroute a driver specifically so you can get your toilet paper the next day as opposed to it coming within like a day and a half when it would normally just kind of sit on a truck and be thrown in. Like a lot of times Amazon, given that extra time, is way more efficient at delivering things in an environmental impact thing. But no one really knows it, and I'm surprised that they don't promote that because I would think it would be a cost savings for them too, right? Like to mm. allow them to lump more things in with other things on a bigger route. Uh, but you know, maybe I'm just talking smack. But to me, it would make sense for them to also like bring that to people's attention. Like, hey, if you don't need next day shipping or same day shipping, um, you know, consider not selecting it because it's yeah. just not really helping us at all. Well, you know, as I said, Jeff's definitely listening and, um, you know, 
uh, like you said about the shakeups, um, yeah, maybe maybe Amazon's got one coming anyway. Right, we're gonna take the uh, political hat off for a second, and um, we're gonna go. So actually, no, let's. So, um, uh, so Dollar Beer Club, um, you 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 exited that, or, or you personally um, exited your position. It's st- it's still a company. It's still trading, and and you're still advising for it. Is that all correct? Um, yeah, so I still have a little bit of equity in the business, but mostly have stepped back from all the day-to-day operations. Um, and there's a third partner that's kind of bought in and and is now the operator, basically. Fantastic. And yeah. and so your um, how are you spending your time at the moment? Like, what are you doing since that? Um, so like since then, um, started getting invited to speak and, and be on podcasts and like share my story. Um, and do some advisory work for other e-commerce companies. And I was trying to figure out really how to like, how to magnify that, how to mobilize a lot of my network of the people that do amazing things that are actually way smarter than me. Um, and so started to build out, um, I figured I'd build an online course and I was like, I don't know how to do this. Sorry for the F bomb. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's invited in these, in these interviews. Well, okay. More than welcome. Right on. Um, you know, I don't really love that model because as you know, like running a business is like so dynamic and you can't ever, and one of the, the unfortunate problems right now is that people kind of buy into this dream that they'll, they'll buy a course, they'll do this thing and then they're rich. It's like ABC. Um, that's not the case whatsoever, especially if you want to do something like really cool and really big and profitable and impactful. Um, so I created an accelerator program last year and took eight companies through curriculum with like 15 advisors, including myself through like a lot of the stuff that's not taught in the industry, like product development, manufacturing, finance, branding, content, retention, um, and really try and accelerate the businesses. And then I now have combined that into an online learning platform, a group where we do trainings every other week. And then, um, also just sort of like that that one-on-one attention and trying to do group coaching within that environment um so that's it's been cool journey for me of like how do i like download what i know but also like what what is the lay of the land you know when someone can see that big picture so they don't need to do it all themselves they but they can put the right hats on the right people um and and get all these things kind of working towards like what's what's interesting is like I found there's 15 different foundations and I mentioned some of them a lot of people don't think about like finance or you know cash flow management and inventory planning and stuff like that. Um, whether you're cognizant of these things or not, um, they're still going on in your business, right? So my my idea is to try and help equip people with the big picture understanding of how they all fit together and then get that hat off of you as soon as possible because otherwise you're going to end up wearing it at a really inconvenient time at three in the morning when something <laughs> fucks up. <laughs> I like that. Um, I like that. And, and yeah, absolutely. There is, there is uh, no shortage of um, courses out there. And, and the reason people buy into that is because yeah. literally on the sales pages is ABC, you know, buy the course, watch the course, you're rich. And um, I love that you're, you're taking a more of a hands-on approach. And, and, and um, it sounds like as well, you're hitting right in your wheelhouse. Like, you know, there, there's a lot of information on how to start a business, but actually, um, you know, um, but, but taking it from, uh, what is it, taking it from um, eight figures or, or seven figure brands to eight figures or on pace, yeah. eight to nine or, or so on. 
Um, that sounds, you know, that's that's where those more advanced strategies and the different pillars. I'm curious, yeah. what are some of the other pillars? Um, so I mentioned a bunch of them. Like, you know, there's also we talked about this really early on, which is sort of like your your vision for the business and what that actually means and what that looks like and kind of like the foundational mindset of not trying to cut corners and and being okay with this journey. And some of the things that I've learned are really important. Um, another huge one are like systems and processes and standard operating procedures, um, which, you know, if your business was like ours was when it was blowing up, a lack thereof is how that was really categorized. Um, so just making sure that um, you're kind of thinking about things from different angles uh, and fighting fires before they come up, which to be honest, like, as, as now I'm sort of like in, in the advisory space and uh, a challenge for me is like the internet marketing aspect. I'm not an internet marketer. So like I could have gone out and sold this course and be like, I started Dollar Beard Club and did all this stuff. But like, that's really not who I am. So I've struggled with like, you know, how do I position uh, solutions to problems that people don't know they have? Or like, you know, how do I not work with beginners and, and take that route of like, hey, here's me and my success and come like follow me and you'll have what I have. I think that there's a there's way, way, way too much of that. And um, I'd love to try and like bring a lot of the things that we were talking about. I know we shouldn't go political anymore and talk about, you know, what needs to change in e-commerce. But um, I think like, you know, there's a lot of good guys like you and I and Ezra and that the people that have messages for people that are either struggling or running brands or want to run better brands. Um, and now is really the time to do that. It's only going to get harder if you're not doing something like that. So uh, I've, I've been really excited to help out some cool brands. I've been like doing interviews. I have opportunities to talk to awesome people like you and participate oh, in masterminds. So this part of my journey has been, uh, has been interesting learning how to be this coach and advisor um, but like when I, you know, when I'm talking to a company or when I'm doing a, you know, an online session for the group, like I'm just in my element, I'm like, cool, this is awesome. I'm plugging these people in with stuff that's going to save them a lot of time, a lot of headaches, uh, create a lot of like cash flow for their business, whatever it is. Like it's super rewarding. And, uh, it's not, it's not just about making money. Like I think with a lot of the courses that are out there. Um, it's kind of from that point of passion. That's what I learned in my journey. I was, I was doing a lot of things for making money and it made me really unhappy in the present moment in a lot of ways. Uh, I love it. And, um, and, and so this is, this is, um, a great point as well. I mean, we we're going to jump into the quick five questions, but, um, this is a great, great point to, um, talk about as well. So, so we've got this upcoming event in September, September, the, 23rd to the 27th um, in Koh Sami, which is an island off of Thailand, and you're one of the special guest speakers. And one of the reasons um, our attendees love our events, not to brag, but they really do, and we've got walls of very long testimonial videos that say it, as, and, and a lot of them say life-changing in them, by the way. Like, all of them say life-changing at some point, <laughs> which is, is a theme. Anyway, part of the reason is How because- How good does that feel? Oh, life-changing. Oh. And what, you know? Um, it feels good. But but being there feels, um, feels pretty darn good as well. And part of the reason for this is, um, and, and we probably need to come up with a better term or, or name, right? Because special guest speaker, okay, so well, special is redundant, right? Um, guest is redundant. Speaker. And that's what people hear. And, 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 then, and then you go, right, okay, so a speaker is someone that jumps on stage at a conference, gives a pre-recorded... Right thing they might do a q 
and a at the uh, at the end but it's all very very protected it's all very very um you know safe and and everybody in the room's getting the same thing which is not going to be particularly um detailed or one-on-one or 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 tailored or anything right because it's a big room and you can't do that whereas at our events our whatever we're going to call them our wizards that we invite uh alex the wizard um you know we're we're hanging out okay we're 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 having three meals a day we're going scuba diving together we're hanging out on boats together we're drinking together right we're we're having um uh hot seats where people are talking about the challenges they've got and we're getting tailored advice i mean i remember um sitting down in a hot tub in january um with one of our special guest wizards um in that event and talking about um um, this this guy's uh, how he moves into foreign uh, territories, right? How he actually lived um, in Brazil for a little while to to understand how they pay for things, what their expectations is, and in, in delivery speeds and the products they're buying, and whether it, his product would be a great fit. Um, he was teaming up with banks in that area because if you only accept, say, um, you know, PayPal and credit card. 90% of Brazilians can't even buy from you, right? And, and we're going through and we're going in deep. We both had a beer. We're shooting the shit, right? And that's the difference, okay? And, and so, you know, actually having someone like you hanging out, right? We, we, we could ask a lot of people to be um, special guest wizards, but we also pick dudes that are dudes, right? Like not, or dudettes, right? Cool people, people that, that get it, that fit with the culture, fit with the culture, the cartel masterminds, um, events and, and, and what we stand for. And so at this point, I think um, this is a great transition to go into a little bit more if about... I- if you may stop, I live for that stuff. So to anyone listening that's on the fence or that's coming, like I can't wait to sit down, have a beer, scuba dive, whatever it is. But like that's when like the real kind of like cool relationships are built and breakthroughs happen. So I love this environment. I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, I look forward to, to meeting you guys there and, and seeing you and, and hanging out and solving some problems together. Absolutely. And so let's learn a little bit more about Wizard Alex. Okay, so let's get into the the quickfire questions. I ask them quickly. You can take as long as you want um, with them. Um, so first up, are there any unusual things that you eat or drink regularly, and why? I don't think particularly unusual. Like I take a decent amount of supplements because um, I travel a lot and stuff. Um, but like I've kind of weaned down that because I used to have a bit of a supplement addiction and like want to be perfect. Um, honestly, like what I don't eat is probably more important and try and keep my diet pretty clean, but also do intermittent fasting almost every day. I find that's been the best thing that's kept me sharp performing well. Okay. So, so, um, most days you're only really drinking coffee, like for breakfast, you're not eating anything except between the hours and like two and eight, 2 PM, 8 PM sort of thing. Or? I'm usually, I usually, I like to work out in the morning. So I'll usually like wake up at six thirty-seven. um, you know, do some meditation, work for two or three hours, then go to the gym. So I usually eat around, probably around noon, something like a noon to eight kind of person. Okay. And sometimes I even try and shorten that. Like I had a, I'm in Europe right now, so we like to eat uh, at 10 p.m. over here apparently, or 11 p.m. for dinner, nah. and and then try and go to dinner right at, or bed right after that. Um, you know, I end up getting pretty crappy sleep. So I think tonight I'm gonna take my dinner at. Uh, you know, at 6 p.m., like a good old Canadian boy and try and be in bed by 10, like a grandfather. <laughs> I love it. It's like the early bird special. That's the joke. Like when you're eating between 5 and 6 p.m., 
yeah. in a restaurant, it's like early bird special, and you'll see yeah. like, the, the retirees. But I, to be honest, I empathise with them. I, I just got back from Croatia last weekend, and we were we were um, breaking bread all the way through to like eleven p.m. And I'm like, uh, to be honest, I either want to be really hardcore drinking at this point, or yeah. really hardcore sleeping. <laughs> I'm yeah. done with eating. <laughs> sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I either want to make take this night and make it epic, or I want to take this sleep and make it epic. Yeah. But that's the crossroads that I want to make. But um, I get it. Okay. Okay, so what's what um, what things um, following up then? You said it's more about the things you don't eat. What's something that you you think a lot of people eat that they shouldn't? Then, um, I mean, I'm I'm cautious to give people at mass dietary advice, but processed foods overwhelmingly uh, is a really easy one to knock off the list. Um, yeah. So, like just eating natural whole foods. I don't eat a lot of meat. I'm not. I wouldn't call myself a vegan because I still eat meat, but um, you know, even when I, when I eat meat, I try and make sure that it's not like full of hormones and, and fully processed and, you know, is bologna versus whatever animal bologna comes from in its whole form. Uh, maybe a bad example to use, but processed foods, easy one for, for me to cut out. I still enjoy my odd Oreo cookie and stuff like that. I'm by all means, not perfect. I'm more of like a be perfect for, uh, you know, six days and binge for one kind of guy. But, um, you know, for those six days, I don't even crave processed foods at all, not even on my radar. I think that makes a lot of sense. And actually, if you do just deny yourself often, it's, it's a balancing uh, body health and, and mind health, right? And sometimes, you know, you need to give yourself an Oreo cookie just as like a, a reward, I guess, for, for the doing six days um, yeah. really well. So. Sometimes it becomes daunting to be like, oh, I've quit this forever, right? And that's an, un again, going back to perfection, that's an unrealistic goal, right? So mm. if you're like, cool, well, it's, you know, I'm going to be fine if I eat Oreos one day a week for the rest of my life, then maybe like it's a lot easier for you to say maybe it's like one a month, you know, because you can kind of wean that off and maybe you don't even like Oreos anymore. Or maybe you eat them every day and who am I to say that that's the, the wrong diet for you? That's the wrong diet, but <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean nothing. And other cookies are available. So, um, how do you yeah. get yourself into a state of flow? Um, I think like having that kind of routine, which is difficult while traveling, but um, you know, waking up, being fasted, um, trying to meditate or stretch. I'm not the best meditator. I'm learning to be better, but um, I try and just quiet my mind while I do some stretching and stuff in the morning, get my body moving. Um, then, you know, that helps kind of induce the flow state as being like a little looser. Uh, and then going to the gym, like for me, like just doing like some sort of like physical thing basically every day, like just gets my mind firing on all cylinders. Um, yeah, I'd say that's probably the biggest thing is just keeping moving um, and doing things that um, that are fun too. you know, like it, kind of breaking the pattern a little bit. I love concerts. Um, so just like kind of like building in these awesome parts of your life. This is why we do it. This is why we have businesses, right? So we can enjoy our life. Mm. Um, you know, and not always about partying. It's about like cool experiences that are like, man, like, you know, and reminding yourself, this is why I'm doing this. This is what's possible. And this is why I want to live a lifestyle that's, that's really unique. Love that. I love that. And so actually that leads, I'm, I'm jumping down uh, my list, but um, you, you talk about, you know, the, the, the fun things. What silly thing should people do more of, in your opinion? Um, that's a really good question. I think, 
I don't know. I'm, I'm a really goofy guy. Like I find it hard to be serious consistently. Um, so I just like, I love making people laugh. So whatever you can do to make people laugh, I think it just like strengthens your relationships and, um, just make people around you smile, you smile more. Um, so I can't think of anything specifically like, uh, I just encourage people to kind of like make an asset themselves for other people's, uh, entertainment as wherever they can. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, what habit you'll, or a you'll see some of that in Thailand when we start having fun. Oh yeah, man. <laughs> right back at you. Um, if I don't break out my a silly dad dance at some point when I'm happy, um, <laughs> uh, it, it will happen. Um, what <laughs> what habit or opinion do you have that other people tend to disagree with? We try and avoid politics and religion in this particular question. Um. What sorry? What is it? What habit do I have that? What habit or opinion do you have that other people tend to disagree with? Um, I don't know how to touch onto that without politics <laughs> or religion. I, we can go there if you want. Um, you know, we'll just polarize the audience at this point. We'll see a big drop of <laughs> the playtime at this point. Um, actually, like something that that's ironic about this question is like I'm even apprehensive to answer it because part of my personality flaw I guess or, or one of my my things that I'm working on is that I always want to be liked by everyone right so I think maybe that in itself is kind of a cop-out answer but I, I know there's a lot of people that kind of struggle with that too um, especially if they're they're more front and center with their business or whatever is this like you know, idea of instead of being polarized, they want to be liked by everyone. So mm. I think that definitely holds me back in a lot of ways. If I just drew a line in the sand and just kind of threw up a middle finger to people, I could probably ironically get further. But, you know, finding a balance between the middle finger and wanting everyone to like mm. you, I think, probably where I want to be. I, th I, th I think that's a great answer as well. And, and, and the irony that, you know, you literally cannot keep everyone happy. And some of the most successful brands are the ones which, which say we are not for you. We are for these people. Yeah. Um, I, I follow Tim Ferriss and Tim Ferriss, you know, he's, he's, um, an advocate of how actually, um, the sort of, there's a lot of people out there, uh, particularly prominent influencers and so on, people who have the clout to change things who are actually worried to, 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 you know, and, and cautious in making waves and saying yeah. things for fear of that video being ripped up and tweaked about, and then boom, they're a racist or boom, they're a whatever, right. All of the other you yeah. know, names, um, and and you know that is that is something that now like it, 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 he wants to change certainly in the world that, that actually to for people to be more free with their um you know their opinions and so on but but I like that I like I okay. like what you said there somewhere between the middle finger and the and the and the closed mouth I, I like that <laughs> so if you ran a school okay and you don't actually have to teach this school but you choose the curriculum if you ran a school but you could only teach one non traditional lesson what would that be. Uh, well, I technically do run a school, uh, but <laughs> um, one non-traditional lesson. Um, well, I think there's there's a lot of non-traditional things in education right now, um, which really ought to be traditional, like some really important things. Um, but like, I think maybe like, you know, something along the lines of mindfulness, if we're, especially if we're talking for, you know, younger children of of kind of like teaching them at an earlier age to to understand 
or to be cognizant of like why they're feeling a certain way or start to observe that and helping them move out of like this reactionary place um, and deal with some of the sort of like the traumatic things that happened to us as a kid that we don't realize are traumatic because they weren't intentionally traumatic, but they just kind of leave these imprints, right? So instead of those coming out or rearing their head 30 years later, like how can we, you know, start to teach children to be a little more mindful of, you know, what's causing them to react at an earlier age. I don't know what you would call that, but um, maybe it's through meditation or or different things like that, but um, helping people connect with their emotional self at an earlier age instead of it being years later. Like many of us, we deal with our shit at a later time from er those earlier experiences. Agreed, and not necessarily in the healthiest ways. Um, I actually had an epic uh, Reiki session uh, just last week, um, I, I, I tried Reiki a few times before, but she had a, just, a, just a really, really good Reiki session, and she gave me this. It's like a purple crystal. Oh, nice. Um, which, uh, um, she's like, purple's your color. Which, I don't know if you know the Teletubbies, it's also, one of the Teletubbies is also purple. But, you know, I'm, I, I, I empathize um, with that, and actually... Uh, purple's my favorite color, too. It's the, uh, apparently it's the highest vibrational frequency of all the colors, too. <laughs> I'm going to start using that in conversation. I might, someone in the, the spiritually woke AF world might, like, correct me on that, but that's what I've heard from a couple people. <laughs> Um, no, it's pink, bro. That's you know, you're incorrect. I'm sorry. I apologize if I got that wrong. Yeah, um, you know, tweet us if if that's a problem. But uh, mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna start talking about vibrational frequencies more in in um, with strangers. Actually, I think I'm just gonna come straight into it. Yeah. <laughs> um, what uh, what book had the biggest impact on your life, or podcast, or video, or, or whatever? Uh, besides this one, uh, um, let's see. <laughs> Um, I think like on a personal level, uh, reading, uh, power of now is really powerful for me, um, by Eckhart Tolle and, and a new earth. Um, I'm going to write that down. My wall. A new earth was really good. Uh, power of now is really good. Both those books by Eckhart were good. Um, what else? I'd probably go with those on a personal level, business level. I've read some amazing books lately. Um, Never Lose a Customer Again by Joey Coleman is a really great one. Um, I don't know. I'm someone who like loves like everything almost to a fault too much. I'm like, this is really good. And then this is really good. Um, So it's hard for me to like name my favorites in a lot of areas because I just love things so much. I just fall in love pretty easy. Okay. I mean, full disclaimer, those aren't your favorites. Those are just books that have had an impact on you. Just random books. No, no. Um, No. (laughs) Power of Now has been really important to me. New Earth, uh, Never Lose a Customer Again. Um, those are all like big books for me in the last year, I would say. This is Marketing by Seth Godin. I love that book. Uh, came out this year. Really great way of looking at marketing and branding. Like it. Like it. Um, I'm going to kind of skip the next question because it's about bosses and, and you haven't really had bosses per se. Um, so uh, move, moving on. Um, where do you go or what do you do to get inspired? Um, I think outside um, or a really big thing for inspiration um, is to do like what we're about to do in Thailand to get around like really high level people um, and just like feel the vibes, have those deep conversations to be able to be vulnerable and 
you know, sit at the table with someone that has a hundred million dollar company and hear that they're still figuring it out is this like really like spiritually, like, um, amazingly charged feeling of like, okay, cool. I don't need to learn. No, I don't need to have all the answers. I'm still learning. This is still a process. And then you get supercharged by people's energy. You get like that validation, like, cool, I deserve to be in this room. So I, I try and put myself in those situations. So again, another, uh, another plug for this event, man, I'm really excited. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and what's the best advice ever given to you? Um, that's a really, really good question. Or what's advice that springs to mind that impacts you, but isn't necessarily your favorite, <laughs> if that helps? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, my dad was a just super influential guy on me. And, uh, you know, I think the, the best advice, uh, especially in business that he ever gave to me, is just to really take care of your customers. Um, and you look at people that have prioritized that, like, you know, Bezos, thank you for watching this through the end we appreciate it's you a long time um, <clears throat> but i think like taking care of your customers and focusing on relationships and that extends far beyond business and into your personal life is like you know really caring about people and uh, actually trying to selflessly help them um i think will get you further in life than anything else can and you'll be happier at the end so I mean, it wasn't just my dad who taught me that, but he really instilled that in me as, as we were working together at a young age. Nice. Would you rather fight one horse-sized duck or a hundred duck-sized horses? This is an important one. Take it seriously. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I think the, the hundred duck-sized horses because I would be less terrified. <laughs> um, and also, like, I've got long legs, so I feel like if it had to come to a fight, I could just start, like, kicking and, you know, I don't know. I'm going to have to dream about that tonight and figure that one out. <laughs> Thanks well, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> well, just, just for the purpose of your dream, just um, I think sometimes people gloss over the one horse-sized duck and what a duck the size of a horse and the wingspan and the beak size. and what Yeah, that so, I mean, like, it's so. terrifying. But I yeah. might find it easier to fight, like, to actually be angry at something like that. Whereas, like, these little tiny cute horses, I'd be like, oh, my God, I can't believe I have to fight you. I'm such an ass. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. Um, so how would you convince someone to do something good that they didn't want to do? Um, it's a good question, too. Man, these are good rapid-fire questions. Yeah, man. I love um, giving you zero prep time for them as well. You know, it's... yeah, that's great. <laughs> uh, Thanks. Thanks for that. Love you, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Tactical. I was gonna have a four-minute sip on my water here. <laughs> that's fine. I'll just dance to fill dead time. <laughs> Dad dance. Yeah. Um, I think like trying to get them to a place of empathy for the people that are affected by whatever that issue may be. Um, you, you said something good, right? Yeah, yeah. We, we're not trying to convince them to do something bad. We're trying to convince them to do something good, but they don't want to necessarily do it. Right. I think like um, something I've always been pretty good at is like empathizing and seeing the other side of the equation and what people might be going through, and it's helped me diffuse a lot of interpersonal conflicts, like in my business and my personal life. 
I'm, I'm, ne- I'm never perfect either, but um, I think just trying to like share with them like why why this is important to consider and why I would consider it um, would probably be my way of going about do that. I like it. And then if if not physically force them to do it <laughs> with, with my army of 100 uh, duck-sized horses <laughs> that I've now mobilized them to be friends <laughs> Because you've tamed the big one, and now the hundred, yeah. uh, the hundred little ones are following you, and now yeah. you can physically coerce that person into. No, I like that. Uh, that's actually fantastic. Um, okay, so we're, we're down to the final, uh, the final question, Alex. What makes you happiest? Um, relationships and uh, spending time with people. Um, like I said, part part of that is just like, I, you know, I want everyone to like me, but that's because I just love people, you know. Um, I just love hanging out with people, the the thrill that you get from helping someone, you know, the, the thrill that you get from being helped by someone and feeling loved. Um, for me, that makes me happy. That and, and playing music, which you can also do with other people. You can. And what, and what music uh, do you play or what instrument um, would really be the correct way of asking that question? I, I grew up playing guitar and, you know, I played pretty decent drums for a guitar player because nobody else had a drum kit and seen no guitar or seen or no drums uh, growing up or could keep time. Um, but lately I've been trying to develop like a singing voice more, which I found has been the most humbling experience ever because your voice is just so incredibly you. Whereas for me, guitar is like, you know, I wasn't born with the ability, but I became better by just like practicing and doing stuff and scales and working at it, you know, voices to the same, you know, extent like you developable, but it's like very humbling to get up on a stage and sing or to be in front of people and sing. Cause it's just like coming from inside you. It's not this mechanical thing with your fingers, right? Wow. Nice. Ooh, that was a good, I think actually gave me tingles that a little bit. Uh, oh. I've not, uh, yeah, tingles. going to take a five minute drink break. <laughs> Alex, this has been absolutely amazing. I feel like we could speak for a long time. Um, oh, we and, will. Oh, yeah, we will. But what I mean, <laughs> what I mean is, like, we could literally do this for a long time, and we're absolutely going to speak for a long time. And um, you know, cartelsmastermind.com is the D, uh, is the website to to check out further information, um, to uh, see you know what it's all about, to see our previous events, to see all those testimonials with the life changing um, part of them, to see the other guest speaking wizards um and um just to see what on earth this is all about we really don't advertise this like we we talk about it of course on these like podcasts and so on but we really don't like just paid ads anyone's welcome right we get we get on phone calls with every single attendee to make sure they're not a dick because no dicks are invited and um you know and and we've done really really well uh, uh, with our filtering process and this will be our fifth luxury event so excited about that alex you have been amazing. You have been humble. You have been fascinating. I've really enjoyed pulling at those threads. I want to pull at them further, and we will. Um, at this point, have you got any asks or requests for the audience? Um, I mean, I would, like I said, if, if we end up meeting in Thailand, make sure you come out to me and let's have some of these deep conversations. But, um, you know, presume this is a talented audience of marketers and business owners. And, I just ask that you be mindful of what you do with your businesses because uh, we're all leaders more than we realize. Um, and, 
you know, we could do some really good things together. So I'm excited to have those deep conversations and also talk about badass shit like making money. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can make money in a really good way. So let's do that together. Fantastic. Well, Alex, thank you so much for taking the time um, to be with us today, taking some time out of your Switzerland um, break, um, finding a place in the, uh, the the accommodation that you're in that works for a uh, for a podcast and just generally just being you um, um, on camera and audio. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. This has been fun. It's been a good way to start the day and get a bit of work done, go to the gym, break the fast. Let's do this. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Thanks again. I really appreciate it. Hey, Martin here again with an audio goodie bag of a bonus before you head off. First up, I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, please subscribe and follow Smarter Destiny across iTunes, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. It really helps spread our message, and you'll get valuable content along the way, too. Secondly, if you have an e-commerce business or are thinking of starting one, grab a copy of my new book, 1% Secret, recommended by Kevin Harrington and a host of other elite guys. Even better, it's free. Just help out with the shipping costs. So head to smarterdestiny.com forward slash book to grab your free copy. Thanks so much and I'll see you on the next episode.